Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how a struck match creates fire and why islands make some animals huge and other animals tiny. You'll also learn about a fun glassblowing trick from Nick Juhas, the host of Netflix's new reality glassblowing competition, Blown Away. Let's blow away some curiosity. Have you ever watched someone trying to spark a fire using flint or by rubbing two sticks together or like doing that thing where there's one stick in the ground and the other one? What's that called? I use a lighter. Yeah, okay, but, you know, without a lighter. No idea. So, yeah, it's not that easy to reduce a flame from friction alone. So how come, when you strike a match, it quickly provides a strong flame? It's clearly using friction, but as reported by The Conversation, the secret is in a series of chemical reactions that are more complex than you'd think for a simple little match. To start, the friction is increased due to the strip on the matchbox containing a powdered glass to make it extra rough. This produces just enough heat to start a series of chemical reactions. The red powder on the box is red phosphorus. If you zoomed right in to see how all its atoms are arranged, it would look like a bunch of triangles and other shapes stuck together in a long chain. Some of these chains break apart from the heat. This causes some of the red phosphorus to change into another chemical called white phosphorus, which reacts immediately with oxygen in the air and creates a lot more heat. So now that we've got our heat, we need some fuel, the second of the three ingredients we need to make a fire. This comes from the sulfur and wax in the head of the match, and of course, from the wood in the matchstick. When it comes to the third ingredient, oxygen, the match has a secret supply. Stored inside the match head is another chemical called potassium chlorate. When it gets hot, it releases a lot of extra oxygen and heat. This makes the match head burn like gangbusters. When you put it all together, the heat, the fuel, and the oxygen, you get a flame. And amazingly, all this chemistry happens in a fraction of a second. You know what else uses a lot of heat? Glass blowing. And we have the chance to talk to the host of the glass-blowing reality competition on Netflix, Nick Juhas. He's a science influencer and host of Blown Away, where 10 master artists turn up the heat in glass-blowing sculpture challenges for the chance to win $60,000 in prizes and the title of champion. After shooting the show, Nick told us he started making some videos for his YouTube channel based on his newfound love of glass. And here's one lesson he wanted to share with us. Another thing that kind of like blew my mind, and I did not know this, another really interesting fact about glass is that you can melt glass in a microwave, which is like kind of goes against what you would think because like typically you put Pyrex in a microwave and it's fine. Um, but there's a way that you can actually melt glass. And what you do is you get like a torch and you can melt soda lime glass, which has a lower burning temperature and you can get it molten. And once glass is molten, molten glass will actually conduct electricity. So if you have a piece of, a, of molten glass on a table and you put a light bulb on one side and you put a power source on the other, it'll actually light up the light bulb. And so the same properties that allow it to conduct electricity, in a way, allow it to uh, retain heat from a microwave as well. In soda lime glass, it has to do with the vibrating sodium molecules. Um, it just so happens that the resonance frequency um, of a microwave allows the sodium molecules to move and that then generates heat and that allows then glass that's already in its sort of like melted phase to continue to propagate heat and you can continue to heat up glass to where it's literally like liquid 
in a microwave. Um, and so we actually did that for one of our videos uh, for the YouTube channel. I wouldn't really, I mean, I would say if you're 18 plus, you could probably try this at home um, because it's not damaging to the microwave. But if you're obviously under 18, this is definitely a parental supervision type experiment. One thing that really took me by surprise is that it doesn't take very long to melt glass in a microwave either. I think we had it in there for 15 minutes and we got it to the point where it was like completely soupy and glowing red hot. It's not like catching on fire or anything, like it's just melting. It's not like the microwave's getting hot either. So super interesting, you can uh, melt glass in a microwave. Remember kids, do not try this at home, at least not without parental supervision. Or if you want to play it extra safe, you can just watch Nick Juhas do it on his YouTube channel, which we'll link to in today's show notes. And remember to check out his brand new Netflix series, Blown Away, which is available right now. We'll put links to the show, Nick's YouTube channel, and more in today's show notes. What is it about islands that makes some animals huge and other animals tiny? You've probably heard of the Komodo dragon, which at 10 feet long is the largest lizard in the world. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there's the extinct elephant bird and also the dwarf mammoths, dwarf hippopotamuses, and even Homo floresiensis, a miniature cousin of modern humans. This tendency is what biologists call the island rule. It was first pointed out by a researcher named J. Bristol Foster in 1964. He theorized that small critters would face both fewer predators and fewer competitors in island environments, giving them plenty of space to get bigger. But big animals, like elephants, would be less concerned about predators or competitors, but more concerned with resources with which to sustain themselves. For them, being smaller would increase their chances of surviving in a small habitat. Then, in 1978, another young biologist named Ted Case took a look at Foster's rule and found it intriguing, but incomplete. He found instances where animals would sometimes react to being isolated on an island by becoming larger and sometimes by growing smaller. Take the case of the red diamond rattlesnake. He found that on the mainland, the red diamond rattlesnake is twice as big as the speckled rattlesnake. But on the island Angel de la Garda, their sizes were reversed. A genetic analysis of those two snakes found that the speckled rattlesnake had diverged more from its mainland relatives, which meant it had probably arrived earlier. So by the time the red diamond rattlesnake landed on the island, there just wasn't space for a big rattlesnake. It had to shrink in order to find its niche. In short, whether an animal gets bigger or smaller on an island might have less to do with what size they started out as and more to do with what the island's existing ecosystem is capable of supporting. So the ecology of an island is kind of like a puzzle, and then once you fit in, you've got to turn into the shape of a piece that they need to fit there. Yeah. I just like the idea of getting shipwrecked on a desert island and then just getting real big. <laughs> Before we recap what we learned today, I want to quickly mention that you can actually subscribe to Curiosity in email form. Just go to curiosity.com slash email and you'll stay up to date with everything we've been up to. Quick, easy, free, unsubscribe at any time. I see no drawbacks. Definitely no drawbacks. So let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that when you strike a match, you're actually setting off a chemical reaction that starts on the side of the box. And that you can actually melt glass in a microwave. Again, with parental supervision. And that islands sometimes make animals huge and sometimes make them tiny. Kind of like a Rick Moranis movie. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. See, for me, Rick Moranis will be forever married to Spaceballs. Also my favorite Mel Brooks movie. Oh, not my favorite Mel Brooks movie. Where are you at? 
Young Frankenstein, for sure. Because ah. that's got Gene Wilder, and Gene Wilder's my Gene Wilder's my boy. Oh, well, we're not going to settle this on this episode. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. 